This is an episode of The Ramp, a podcast produced by Deloitte Digital. Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode about the Energy Transition Monitor. This is a very insightful project about where we as the Netherlands are standing in our energy transition. During this episode, we'll talk you through some interesting takeaways, we see how the team actually got to their conclusions, and we share some interesting thoughts from the people that worked on the monitor. My name is Bart, the host of this episode, but luckily I had a great group of people that will introduce themselves right away. Enjoy. Uh, my name is Antonio, Antonio Cambio. Uh, I work uh, at Deloitte Netherlands, uh, strategy uh, yeah, or monitor Deloitte uh, team. And with uh, Helene and Gino here, I've developed uh, uh, the energy transition monitor over the past uh, five or six months. And I'm Helen Bosse. I'm also at the strategy team at Deloitte Netherlands and yeah, also worked on the energy transition monitor towards the end with the data analysis and the publication process. I'm Gino Arcangeli. Uh, I'm part of the AI and data team, also in strategy, uh, analytics, mergers and acquisition. Um, I worked more from a technical end, uh, developing the scroll story, also doing some sentiment analysis on uh, Twitter data, so some interesting stuff. Yeah, very cool. Thank you all. Uh, We also have another co-host around here, Jeroen. Could you introduce yourself a bit? Sure, thanks, uh, Bart. Uh, yeah, Jeroen van Nieuwenhof, partner within the customer marketing portfolio of consulting. And um, as an industry, I have uh, energy resources and industrials, so working for clients like DSM, Shell, Stolt-Nielsen and, uh, and AXO. Awesome. So um, today uh, we, uh, we have a theme that is a, an abbreviation, so ETM, which, of course, as I said, stands for Energy Transition Monitor. Could someone explain me uh, to me what it actually means. What are we going to talk about today? Okay, I can uh, give a little explanation. So the Energy Transition Monitor was developed by Deloitte to give a snapshot of the energy transition in the Netherlands. And we really wanted to give an objective point of view. Where do we currently stand? What do stakeholders think? Um, where do we currently stand? What do we still have to go And what do we still have to do to reach our climate goals in 2030 and 2050? So um, could you explain why why we are doing this right now? Was there anything that we picked this moment to do this? Yeah, so as Helen explained, it's really a monitor of the energy transition. Um, On the one hand, we felt there is a lot happening in this space. There is progress being achieved. There is ambitious goals but not so much clarity over how well are we doing, how hard are we doing um, in achieving those goals. Uh, On the other hand, we're also somewhat halfway through the energy transition. Uh, If you look at 1990, which is the uh, common reference year, and 2050, which is, let's say, the the target year for net zero, we're roughly halfway. So we felt this is the sort of the right moment to to check in and to uh, assess how are we doing, where are we, can we make it? towards this enormous challenge. Going back to the monitor, who, who can give us a flavor of, of some of the key outcomes? Eh? Because there were some very, I think, very um, surprising outcomes, at least for me. Can you, can you share some of the outcomes? So, so the way we structure the report is across three uh, uh, segments. Uh, mm-hmm. So energy, uh, emissions and investment. Um, so what we see is... Uh, 
emissions have decreased uh, around 30%, a third, uh, since 1990. Decreased. Decreased, yes. sorry, decreased. Um, energy has decarbonized quite a lot. I think yeah. 15% is green now uh, mm-hmm. in the Dutch consumption. That's quite, quite uh, remarkable. And investment has also increased substantially, spe- especially from households. We see households, Dutch households are... Uh, um, adopting EVs, solar panels, uh, electric heat pumps, um, and then we report on each of these three segments separately. So that's sort of the top uh, level results of the report. And and if you talk investments, uh, you mention household investments, uh, like electronic vehicles, etc. But I guess there's also industrial investments, or or how broad is that category of, of, of investments we do in the Netherlands in this in this energy transition that's massive yeah. indeed so we look at how corporates are planning for in, uh, energy uh, transition investment and uh, we looked at the netherlands is taking a leading position across uh, energy vectors uh, or energy production green mm-hmm. energy production so we see uh, a lot of announcement and plans being made for offshore wind onshore wind solar panel uh, hydrogen green hydrogen uh, and most of that is for now, still in planning phase, so there is very little that is uh, actually uh, materialized, but we expect that a lot of that will uh, ramp up in the coming years. So now I, I read the report a little bit before this, this session. I think there's also a big but to, to this conclusion. Eh? So on one hand, the outcome is that we are on our way, but, but can you tell something about what actually largely is behind kind of the reduction at the moment? Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, so we see, for example, that um, within industry, we made one of the biggest reductions in the past um, 20 years, 25 years. So it has, out of all of the sectors, made the biggest progress. But when we look into how was this progress achieved, Mm -hmm. we actually see that we had a very big output drop uh, since 2000, which is, of course, a result from uh, offshoring and cheaper production elsewhere. Yeah, because output drop, you mean factories are producing yeah. less goods in the Netherlands, right? Yes. So that is actually, that number is, is the productivity actually is, is, is reducing. Yeah, and um, it happens in other countries and then we import it yep. but when we import the goods mm-hmm. they don't count to our national dutch emissions anymore right. so we sort of outsourced emissions in that way yeah and then another um, thing that we see is that the emissions in industry has dropped because Im- industry has reduced non-co2 gases mm-hmm. which have a very high impact on emissions um but there was a, actually very little um, CO2 reduction in industry. So the actual decarbonization of industry still has to start. And yeah, the, we still have quite a long way to go. So basically what we're saying, what we're concluding is like there's a significant reduction, but actually a lot of that reduction is because we produced less in the Netherlands. So automatically then there's less emission if you produce less. That is basically kind of uh, what what we then see happening. Um, If you look at kind of what we achieved so far and you compare that to like the objectives we have, for example, in 2030, where are we at the moment? 
Yes, yeah. So what we see is that we're doing particularly well. Uh, we're doing well across the board, but yeah. particularly so on electricity. We have mm-hmm. a high share of green electricity. We have a lot of manufacturing uh, facility which have switched to electricity. Um, um, what the hard challenge is, is to decarbonize heavy manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So if you think at Tata Steel, if you think about OCI, they really rely on uh, um, coal, natural gas, um, so fossils for the production. And switching uh, to electricity is most often not possible. So they often need to go through hydrogen. So it's more complex decarbonization path. And that's still yet to happen. So there is where we see lot of investment needed a lot of uh, uh, and, and also we spoke with a lot of uh, energy what we call energy stakeholders energy transition stakeholders for this report so we spoke with uh, university uh, lecturers we spoke with industry professionals uh, politicians journalists uh, and one of the themes that emerge is that there is certainty uh, or the clarity is not there yet for companies to uh, undertake those investments. They think that their regulatory environment is not yet uh, uh, fixed and clear, and they are still holding on to those big decisions. So who is it that should be taking the next step then? Are that companies? Is it the government? Is it EU-wise? Is it uh, us? So what we see, if we look at what is happening in the regulatory environment that there is also a lot coming from the EU. So we have the EU Green Deal, we have um, the EU Clean Fuel um, and the EU um, Tax Directive and CBAM, for example. CBAM is the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism. And that way, and with that one, the EU tries to um, also make an impact on decarbon emissions that um, we put that we import into Europe, so in that way we see a lot of um, good things are happening in the EU. Um, but these are mostly happening in industry and the electricity sector because those are also regulated by the um, emission um, trading scheme. And we see that, for example, the Dutch government is also very involved in these industries, but they are not very involved in mobility and um, and housing, where they have a very big national impact. So um, it really depends on which industry you're looking at, um, where um, we where the Dutch uh, regulators can make a difference and where it is going to be affected by EU regulations. I think we have a great picture now of what the monitor is showing us. Important there is the realization that the reduction in our emissions is due to the outsourcing of our production to other countries. The biggest challenge is the decarbonization of the heavy industries, something we need some better regulations on on multiple levels. For now, we'll continue with another insight that caught Jeroen's eye during his pre-reading. Hey, talking about industries and kind of types of, um, of, 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 of energy usage, what I notice is that if you look at the numbers, we almost automatically exclude a large part of energy consumption, which is in airlines and and shipping. Could you help me understand why is that happening? What's the reason behind that like automatic kind of removal of those those industries? Why is that? Why is that? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, For mobility indeed, so the international part of aviation and the international part of shipping are excluded. Yeah. Uh, 
there is international agreements uh, with other countries whereby, for instance, aviation is uh, regulated by ICAO. Um, that's, the, that's the airline association. Indeed, correct. Um, and the shipping, international shipping is regulated by IMO, uh, which is the equivalent for shipping. Yep. Um, and they drive the emission reduction. So they say, uh, and it's also hard to allocate those emissions to countries because if a ship comes to Rotterdam yeah, on the way... Yeah, or over Europe, where does correct, it... Correct, yeah. which country should account for yeah. it. Uh, but those are quite large, and I think at least for aviation, emissions have been increased since 1990s. So they're sort of under the radar, not really kept in check. And do those organizations report on it? Is that available, or is that then, then a bit unclear h- how they are advancing? Uh, with their own, I think, particularities, huh? because at the same time, if you look at kind of becoming greener, those are exactly also the two industries, as I understand, that really not have the option at the moment to electrify, right? Just because of the well, the characteristics of the of the transport. Huh? So it's, it's, it's kind of a very interesting part of this, let's say, whole transition, right? It's governed in a different way, but also I think their energy problem is a bit is a bit different. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think if you look at shipping, we see that the private sector is taking the largest steps. I think Maersk is really leading the transition to possibly methanol, green methanol, as a fuel. Um, um, we see that OCI is building on the, in the port of Rotterdam uh, import terminals for ammonia, uh, which possibly also could be used for green ships. So it's really led by, uh, let's say, the companies themselves. Uh, not so much uh, centrally. I think for aviation, the, the EU is playing a bit of a bigger role. We have mandates on green uh, fuel for for companies, for avi- for airlines, um, um, but steps are still relatively low there. There is indeed the chicken and egg problem. Yeah, and I think in, for example, in aviation, we also have, for example, a bit of a misuse of resources right now. If we look at the amount of biomass that we are using to produce electricity, we could also use that to um, produce sustainable aviation fuel. But because there's not really a demand yet for sustainable aviation fuel, those resources are used to just produce electricity. So what you're saying is we already have lots of other ways to produce green electricity, like wind, like solar. So you better redirect that biomass to... To another category of yeah, where let's it's say, greener quite hard energy. to yeah. Um, yeah use electricity. That also brings up like an interesting topic that I f- I got from the the monitor, um, and that was just that uh, biomass accounts for forty percent of the green production for electricity. Um, but hey, and and tell can you quickly tell what is biomass? I mean, so how I understand biomass? biomass is it's uh, sort of there's different kinds of it. So yeah. you, you get liquid. Um, gas and solid biomass so um, what is it waste from people's home or it can be waste it it can be trees it can be paper they make pellets which are made out of wood Um, so then that ties into a center we did a bit of a sentiment analysis on biomass Mm -hmm. and most people view that in a negative way so they have a at least when they express their opinions online um, they have a negative view of biomass because they don't see it as a truly sort of green resource, but it is something that we need to use to transition. So that's why it's been relied on. And yeah, whether we'll see how it goes in the in the future. But at least for me, that was a quite a nice insight that I got from that because I assumed in the Netherlands especially that wind would be quite uh, 
dominant, but it's actually biomass, even though, but in wind is, is rising. Could you explain why it is actually necessary for the transition biomass? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, I think it's because it's it's easier. So in terms of like capital outlay and that sort of thing, we'll see in the investments chapter that um, the you know wind, offshore, and solar panels, these things cost a lot to implement in terms of capital outlay. But whereas with biomass, it's something you know you can plant more trees. It's less in capital intensive to farm trees, etc. To to create these fuels. So in the meantime, while you gather the capital necessary to build these other clean energy alternatives, you can use this as an interim. But um, yeah, most people don't like it because who wants to cut down? Cutting down trees doesn't seem very green. But a lot of people, I think, have that misconception, like exactly. why is it green to cut trees? It yeah. doesn't sound very green, but it's like the whole cycle, which might be a 20-year cycle of, of regrowing trees, etc. That's interesting, right? It's funny to see the different perceptions between the public and the experts on biofuel. Apparently, we do need it right now. And even using other industries like aviation might be something interesting as well. And we also heard it's very hard to get precise insights into industries like aviation and shipping. But it's clear we have a long way to go. In this final section of the episode, we'll talk about the future and listen to some recommendations of the team. So if we go back to the, uh, let's say the highlights of the... Um uh, the monitor. So we've we've looked back in terms of how far did we get. Uh, the report came with came with quite a large set of recommendations. Could you highlight some of the uh, the recommendations that we put forward in the report? Yes. So one um, is, for example, the um, prioritized impact for scaling. That's how we called it. So prioritized impact, impact for, for scaling. scaling. Okay. So um, this recommendation recommendation really. Um, focuses on finding out where can we make the biggest impact in reducing emissions. So, for example, uh, we have a lot of EVs in the Netherlands. We are actually a leader in Europe in terms of charging stations per capita. We have one of the biggest EV fleets and the share is also one of the greatest um, of the car fleet, which is driven electrically. But if we look at the actual energy consumption in the mobility sector, EVs make a very small dent in uh, in there. So we have 1.5%. And um, if we then consider how many subsidies were given to EVs and the impact that it actually made, it's very small. So you mentioned 1.5%. Uh, what do you mean with 1.5% of what? Out of all um, road mobility so that includes trucks and passenger cars and yeah the vehicles that are driving on the road and of those is 1.5 percent you're pointing out that a lot of the subsidies of the government actually went to this relatively small electric vehicle yeah uh, part What, what could be other ways where the government then could use subsidies to to increase other types of 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 energy transition. So, for example, we see that they are very effective in the um, in the built environment. Mm-hmm. So, homes, we see that subsidies can you know, lead to a huge uptake in solar panels. So, I think that the same should also go for heating. If we look at how much heating or how much emissions 
the actual annual gas use causes and I think it's approximately 50% of our emissions in the built environment are coming from gas usage in heatings in homes and the transition there would make a huge impact if we use more um, yeah, electric heat pumps. Right now it's only 5% and that percentage has to increase uh, much more over the next years. And yeah, if we look at um, solar panels on the roof, of course that is also something very good, but it still only leads to green electricity generation and not um, a reduction in the emissions that we use in our homes, so to the gas heating. Some other highlights in terms of the, the recommendations we gave in the, uh, in the report? Yeah, so for me, one, um, yeah, one case study that we described in our report was very interesting, and that is the Eimshafen Terminal, which was built in a record time when the first stage of the energy crisis hit, and we realized, okay, we need to have a, another import terminal for gas that the government, the regulators, and both the private investors came together and build a new terminal for gas in That's a record the liquid, time. the liquefied gas, you mean, the liquefied gas terminal? Yes. Yeah. So I think overall from like start to finish, the, um, the time was maybe 80% faster than it usually is for these kinds of projects. And I think that personally gives me a little bit of hope because I, I think when there is actually yeah, an emergency happening, people can come together and work things out very, very quickly. And I think this sense of urgency and maybe even emergency is only now starting to, de to develop in a lot of people. Unfortunately, we see all of these um, incidents that are coming closer and closer to our homes, the, um, the firebrands, um, the wildfires in Greece and Norway and everywhere, or the, the, floodings. the floodings in Norway. Yep. Um, yeah, they, they really bring this very close to people. So this sense of urgency is really developing now. And I think we see that once this really hits, that people can move very quickly and um, yeah, make things happen even faster than usually. So that was something positive for yeah, you, that, that was you kind of positive. thought, hey, this is much faster because there was a kind of an urgency and we, ca we can do it, but we need, well, I think the, uh, the, 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 the important word there is the sense of urgency. Eh? If, if the sense of urgency is not high enough, apparently it takes too long. And, and, and this was a case of, of a clear emergency. Now, just a funny anecdote, but when I turn on the heater uh, at home, uh, I think immediately about Groningen. Huh? So one of the things that we looked at is how we sort of moved as the Netherlands from a net exporter of gas uh, and, of course, user of heavy user of natural gas to a net importer, or we're moving towards a net importer, uh, just because we... Uh, decommissioned the gas fields in Groningen in 2013 but kept using it uh, because our system was uh, relying on it 
and I just think, where is this gas coming from? So probably from the US, uh, uh, from Middle East. Um, uh, so also this gas now is, I think sometimes, higher emissions because not only uh, is possibly made with uh, less efficient methods that we had here in Ireland, it's also imported, uh, liquefied and imported from abroad. So <laughs> just, just sometimes think... Uh, we're actually uh, uh, emitting more now when we turn on the heater. So now that we have this monitor, this report, is this project done? What is going to happen with all the knowledge that we gain now? I, I think it's the start only. Um, um, so we have had great... Uh, so this monitor is very well, has been very well received. Uh, uh, we uh, recently um, published it or um, presented it at the Recharge Earth event She's a very big uh, congress in the Netherlands for energy professionals. Uh, and we saw a lot of enthusiasm about it. Um, uh, so the ambition is definitely to um, uh, bring this back together, uh, possibly on a yearly basis or maybe bi-yearly basis, to really have a constant update of information on how we're doing on energy transition. Uh, that's one thing. And then the other thing is we've also been approached by uh, colleagues from other member firms of Deloitte, so abroad, who also would like to have something similar there. So we're also now in discussion with them on how can we uh, have the energy transition monitor for uh, Germany, for Denmark, maybe for Spain. I'm just uh, giving examples. Uh, and for Europe uh, and possibly also beyond Europe. And I think it also can only get better from here on. I think we have also more access to more data now. So we have yeah, um, received data from NetUnders, for example, which have a much more in-depth insight into the renewable energy that is produced. And yeah, this can give our next report even more detail and yeah, more differentiation than we were able to give now with the data that we used from CBS and Eurostat. Okay, so let's say I'm interested in, in reading about this. Where can we find this? Yeah, if you want to find it, we, we have a page, a dedicated page on the Deloitte website um, where you can download the report. Uh, you can also go there and view the scroll story. Um, you can navigate through the visuals uh, and uh, it's quite interactive. We just look for energy transition monitor, I guess, right? That's yeah. Then you can find it on the website. You yeah, should also if, if you Google Deloitte Energy Transition Monitor. Yeah, you'll we find it. Also link it in the description. <laughs> Quite sure. Yeah. yeah. And that concludes our episode. We talked about what the energy transition monitor is, maybe some shortcomings in the overview that we have, and provided some recommendations to improve in the future. Of course, this is just the beginning, so I really recommend you to take a look at the monitor yourself. To close off, I'd like to thank Gino, Antonio, Helen and Jeroen for sharing their stories during this episode. And of course, as always, I'd like to thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.